All right, so uh, let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this day. Uh, we thank you for bringing us here. We thank you for bringing us the last couple of years through uh, studying the book of books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for blessing us to spend time in your word. Uh, we'll get to Deuteronomy uh, later, but Lord, we thank you for this new Bible study series that we're embarking on about uh, cultivating a biblical worldview. It'll take a few months to flesh everything out that we want to. Uh, Lord, the purpose of all this is to help us as a church, uh, both corporately and individually, uh, to recover a biblical worldview, to learn how to think biblically in this culture and in this world, and be able to share with other believers, encourage other believers in uh, looking at everything through the lens of Scripture. Uh, we're going to be challenged, uh, but we're also going to be encouraged. Uh, we're going to deal with some tough topics, but some necessary topics. So, Lord, I pray that uh, you use the Holy Spirit to help us as a church and as believers to cultivate and nurture a uh, biblical worldview. In Christ's name I pray, Lord, just bless our time tonight. Amen. So as I said, uh, Sunday and last week, uh, when we kind of previewed everything, the next several months, uh, we're going to be going into uh, studying what it means to have a biblical worldview and what a biblical worldview is. We're going to study competing worldviews. Um, that you know worldviews that compete against the Christian worldview or the biblical worldview, and the reason why I think this is important for us, uh, I think I told you all Sunday and last week. Uh, by God's grace, I've been a Christian for about 30, 31 years. It'll be thirty-one years on May the twelfth, where, where God saved me, May twelfth, nineteen ninety-one, and probably for the first twenty years of my life as a Christian. I didn't, I heard nothing, I wasn't taught anything, I, it didn't even come across my mind having a worldview at all, up until I was looking at some of my notes from the first time uh, I studied worldview, I think it was 2012, so you're looking at the first 21 years of my life as a Christian, uh, I didn't know what uh, worldview was. I didn't know what a biblical worldview was. I didn't know that I had a worldview. And so once we went through that study uh, in our Iron on Iron, on Iron meetings, uh, Thad James, uh, who's from Birmingham Theological Seminary, um, he did a, uh, he was invited to one of our meetings uh, to do a worldview presentation with us. And at that meeting, my eyes just opened. I was like, wow. You know, this is amazing. <laughs> you know, it, it, it was really amazing uh, learning that I had a worldview, <laughs> that all of us have a worldview. And so he taught us, he was, he was there for, uh, uh, I think he came back maybe two or three weeks, and just, just kind of walking us through this book called Understanding the Times, which I have at home. 
And so what I did once I, you know, after about a year or so, uh, I brought the worldview teaching to our church. I think it was in 2015 or 2016 when I did it. But I did a few months Bible study on cultivating biblical worldview. So now we're revisiting it because we have a you know new group of people here. And um, so you all will get a chance also to, um, you know, learn about having a biblical worldview and why it is important, especially in the culture in which we're living. Uh, we're living in a culture, in a country, in a nation, and in a world where good is called evil and evil is called good, where things that God abhors is being celebrated. And unfortunately, scores and scores of Christians are going along with the cultural narratives concerning the role of government, uh, the nature of the economy, uh, regarding uh, sex and sexuality, human sexuality, uh, regarding marriage, regarding the family, um, regarding the role of the, the state and the church and how those things uh, exist together, uh, religion. All these worldviews are, are uh, in conflict with the Christian worldview, the biblical worldview. And when we go through our days, we don't think about what is the worldview behind what's being proposed or legislated or what's being talked about by this political uh, official or by this person on my job. You know, what's the worldview behind that? So once, you know, I learned that everybody has a worldview, I started looking at everything from a worldview. And so that's what we endeavor to do uh, these next few months is to help us to develop a biblical worldview and to analyze other worldviews and see how we can counter those worldviews and also a way to show people the glory and beauty in the biblical Christian worldview and how it also ultimately points to the gospel and points to Christ. So just as a, a quick open, like I said, uh, we're going to get a lot of information, but I'm going to be very, uh, you know, I'm not going to rush through things, but I'm just going to, you know, read some things, we're going to look at some things, uh, you know, through PowerPoint, we'll look at some different videos, some presentations as we go through. Uh, it's going to be a lot, but it's going to be very helpful for you. If you like to take notes, then you will have the uh, opportunity to to do so. So the first thing or the first question is before I mentioned it have you ever heard of a worldview? Before I ever said anything about it. Yes or no? If not that's male. Okay. Good. So that's a good thing. So the first question is what is a worldview? There are many different definitions for worldview. I'll just start with a few. Uh, basically, a worldview is a set of basic beliefs, and they are more or less 
a organized system of assumptions and values. Now, you're going to hear me use this word a lot. I'll explain it to you. The word presupposition. Okay? A presupposition is to presuppose it is an assumption. Okay? Everyone has assumptions. Okay? Everyone has assumptions and everyone uh, has values. Okay? So a worldview is a set of basic beliefs uh, of an organized system of assumptions and values or presuppositions. John MacArthur said, I have this book called Think Biblically. Uh, it's a good book. It's, it's not too academic. It's written by uh, John MacArthur and some uh, master's college faculty out there. Uh, that uh, John MacArthur is the, I think, the chancellor, the president of uh, Master's Seminary out in California where his church is. This is what he said about uh, a worldview. He says, the Christian worldview sees and understands God the creator and his creation primarily through the lens of God's special revelation which is the Holy Scriptures, and secondarily through God's natural revelation in creation. Okay? So the Christian worldview looks through the lens of God's word and through what we see in nature because all of nature points to God as creator. Okay? All of nature does. So, when we think about a worldview, We think about our thoughts. Our thoughts tend to develop patterns and fit into systems. All of us think with a certain pattern. All of us think through a particular system. Okay? And I'll say this, and I, I, uh, in my notes, I said this, that no one's thoughts are completely random. You, you, you know, you hear sometimes people say, uh, I just had a random thought. None of our thoughts are random. All of our thoughts are filtered through some type of system. All of our thoughts are filtered through some type of belief. All of them are. None of our thoughts are random. They come from some system, some belief that we have okay uh, there's no such thing as organized chaos our thoughts fit into a worldview all of them do okay first we have to understand that God made us in his image we know that from Genesis 1 27 and we since we're made in God's image in, in, in God's image rather we can't help but to think logically. Okay? We may not realize this, but every day we are affected and influenced by the worldview of other people and the people around us. We're affected by the worldview of our friends. We're affected by the worldview of the people we work with. We're affected by the worldview of our parents, media, Celebrities, the people you listen to in school, teachers if you are in school, 
All these things have had influence over our life in different ways that we're not even aware of. Every sphere of life, we have been influenced by all these different people. All of us have been influenced by our parents in some way. All of us have been influenced by our friends, by our fellow church members, by our co-workers. I spend eight hours of my day around my co-workers. Okay, I spend more time around them than I do around you all. Okay? And so there may be some influences on my, uh, through my coworkers that I'm not even aware of because their worldview can influence mine or either mine can influence theirs. Our worldview determines what we feel about life. It determines what we think brings us peace, our stress level, our confidence level. All of those things come from our worldview. Okay? Our worldview includes thoughts about life, about death, about the past, about the present, about the future. Our worldview determines all those things. How do we look at life? What is life? What is death? Our worldview determines how we look at those things. And so we subconsciously have a worldview. Our worldview uh, includes what we think about relationships, what we think about time, what we think about money. Our worldview influences our thinking about those things. It is it is all-encompassing. So we, we see that having a worldview is inescapable. Everyone has a worldview. Like I said, I spent the first 21 years of my life as a Christian not even knowing that I had a worldview. There was a time I didn't even know I had a theology or a doctrine because I came up in a religious system that said that uh, doctrine was evil and, and you know, but that was a doctrine. <laughs> okay. So they said that doctrine was evil, but that was a doctrine itself. You know, the Jesus only doctrine. So our worldview is the same way. Everybody has a worldview. If you go to a pygmy tribe in the Congo, they have a worldview. If you go to some lost tribe somewhere in the Amazonian jungle, guess what? They have a worldview. Okay? How do we look at life? All these things. Everybody has a lens in which they look through uh, the world. Okay? So the point of all this is that you and I as Christians must choose to have a biblical worldview, which means that we must view Life through the lens of God's word. We must believe that the Bible is inspired of God, that it is inerrant, and that it is infallible. But sadly, few believers can put their hands on what they believe as their worldview because we really don't know what the Bible teaches. And so this series will cover basic truths needed to build a biblical worldview and that's what we're going to be doing for the next uh, few months
Now I have this slide up here uh, on the board that uh, Thad did. Uh, this book called The Universe Next Door, I have that book also. And it talks about worldview. It says a worldview is a commitment, a fundamental orientation of the heart that can be expressed as a story or in a set of presuppositions. Now, explain to y'all what presuppositions are. They are assumptions which may be true, okay, that we hold consciously or subconsciously, consistently or inconsistently about the basic constitution of reality and that provides the foundation on which we live, move, and have our being. You know, Paul said that in the book of uh, Acts, Acts 17, when he was at the Areopagus, uh, when he was speaking, and he said, in him, in God, we live and move and have our being, as opposed to the false gods of that culture and of that day. You know, it is the God who created the heavens and earth, the triune God. It is through him that we live and move and have our being. So he was contrasting the true God with the false gods of his day. And so a worldview, again, is all about our presuppositions, our assumptions about life. I remember uh, a Ligonier conference, Ligonier Ministries conference, uh, you know, the late R.C. Sproul uh, was the president of Ligonier Ministries. I think it was the, the 2014 conference that I went to down at uh, his church in Orlando. Um, his son, R.C. Sproul Jr., was speaking about abortion because he's, he's a very uh, big pro-life uh, advocate. And he said something that still sticks with me uh, today. He said, the problem of abortion is a worldview problem. He said, the woman who goes to an abortion clinic has a worldview problem. That she has a unbiblical worldview about the family, about being a woman, about motherhood, and about herself. He says she has a worldview problem. And that stuck with me because it's true. What is, what is your assumption about life? Does it matter? What is your assumption about babies? What, is your, what are your assumptions about getting pregnant or becoming a mother? Those are worldview issues. If you look at a child as an inconvenience, that's a worldview problem. Because you're focused on worshiping yourself. And that child is going to mess up your life. That's why Oprah Winfrey said she didn't have children. That's what she said. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Oprah Winfrey said that. And that's why she doesn't have children. Because, you know, children basically, you know, take the focus off of yourself. You know, it'll, it'll punch a hole in her idolatry, her self-worship. But that's a worldview issue. So it, it is about those assumptions. So he goes on to say, the commitment, the heart, the self-defining element of the human person. Our heart is the seat, sum, and center of our person. The physical heart and the spiritual heart. Okay? The presupposition, what do I believe about God, humans, and the universe? You know, I, um, we were going through biblical counsel training in our Iron on Iron meetings some years ago. One of the first questions that uh, we were told to ask a person, no matter what they were in counseling for, 
the very first question we should ask them is who is God? Because their assumptions about God will determine okay, everything about them and how they look at everything. Just ask them that simple question. Who is God? Not what is God because God is not a what. He is a person. Who is God? Okay, what do you believe about God? And then, what do you believe about yourself? That's the second question. And then, what do you believe about the world that God created? Those are our uh, uh, presuppositions. Assumptions. Why do we think the way we think? What is my reality? Then, foundation. Is my worldview what I believe or what I show? Okay, so those are those are some uh, basic questions that we have to ask. Now I'm going to look at some um, different. We're going to go into these in more depth as we go through uh, these um, months of study. But I'm going to look at some false worldviews, just some introductions to them. We're going to flesh them out uh, more. The first false worldview is the one with the most toys wins. That is the worldview of materialism. I'm going to read a lot of isms here. Materialism says the one with the most toys wins. Right? You got the big house on the lake, you know, with the boat, or perhaps with the fifth wheel camper, or the RV. You know, you got your bucket list that you're, you know, filling up. You've been to the Grand Teton National Park. You've been to the Grand Canyon. You've been to California. You know, you've been on European uh, Nordic Cruise Line or Norwegian Cruise. You know, you traverse the world. You know, you have a nice big uh, bank account. Materialism says that the only thing that really matters in life is the acquisition of things. It doesn't mean that acquiring things itself is a sin. But if that is that person's goal in life, the acquisition of things, that's a materialistic worldview. Materialists believe in life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness. <laughs> okay? The theme of the materialist is the one with the most toys wins. Do you all know people who are like that? Okay. Jesus challenged the conventional wisdom of the materialist. He said in Luke 12, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He said that in Luke 12. In other words, do not judge your life by how much you've got. You've probably heard the saying, the greatest things in life are not things. That is true. Jesus challenged that view of materialism. Okay? Next one is individualism. I've got to think of me first. And you know, that was a thing when I was growing up. 
you know, back in the olden days, about 40, 50 years ago, you know, it seems like ancient history. I mean, yesterday was ancient history for crying out loud. But individualism focuses on me first. We live in a me first mentality world, a serve yourself, a love yourself world. It's all about you. All the commercials on TV cater to this viewpoint that it's all about you, right? If we're honest with ourselves, that's what the culture tells us. It's about what makes who happy? Me. I got to think of me first. I did this back when I, I did this study back in 2016. And man, things have changed at warp speed six years later. As everyone at that time to take out their cell phones, scroll through your picture roll, and see how many selfies you have. <laughs> Anybody want to try that and see? <laughs> how many pictures of you do you have in your phone? I'm not good at taking selfies. I try to take one a day. I'm like, I'm not good at taking selfies because I'm too old. You know, I don't know the right angle. I don't know if I have that 5 o'clock shadow or not. or, or I, I just don't know. You know, I don't even look at the camera right. It's like looking to the side or something. I mean, you know. Take out your phones and see how many selfies you have. Let's do that. I want to do the experiment right quick. <laughs> Good. So this is not a, a selfie-obsessed church. Okay. Anyway, what lends to individualism? Uh, selfies, abortion, and I say this in quotes, there's no such thing uh, transgenderism there's no such thing as transgenderism I'm just using that uh, for the sake of what we're talking about individualism the autonomous self I'm in control of my own body what, what, what do some of the uh, pro-abortion people say my what my body my choice that's autonomy the autonomous self I'm in charge of my body I can do whatever I want to do with myself I can go mutilate my body to believe a lie. Uh, we did a, uh, and we're going to do it again this time too, we did a body image um, survey, and it was very eye-opening what we think about the human body and about ourselves and how it breaks down, how we have an unhealthy um unbiblical rather image of ourselves being made as image bearers of God why because we live in this we live in such a self-centered culture how many makeup commercials do you see on TV how many ads do you see for men in their 50s like me with six-pack abs at age 50 that look like the rock and I say I got a, about a 12-pack here, you know. <laughs> I'm never going to have a, quote, beach beach body. I don't care to have one. The only person who needs to see my body is my wife. But in the individualistic culture, people have to do what? If you, if you think about it, how you ought to be part of, that's why I said, think about a biblical worldview. There was a time where women didn't have pictures of their pregnant belly on the front of a magazine cover. 
Oh, the ba- the baby bump, just in case you are not keeping up with the cultural news, the baby bump seen around the world was two, two days ago when Rihanna, you know, she's a famous singer, she revealed her, her baby bump with her boyfriend, ASAP Rocky, who's a washed-up rapper. And Rihanna, she's a very pretty girl. She's exotic. She's, she's bohemian. And she's pregnant. It was the baby bump scene around the world. Oh, all the world was gushing. Oh, Riri's pregnant. But the sad thing is she's not married. She's not married. She's a billionaire. She's very rich. She's very wealthy. She's very popular. But she's not married. No one said anything about that. But women showing their pregnant bellies on magazine covers now. It's, 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 not, it's not nothing sacred anymore. Why? Because of the triumph of the self. It's all about me. Everyone has to put the focus on me. Individualism says, I really don't care what it does to the children or what it does to you. I'm walking out of this marriage. Individualism says, I don't really care what it does to the people at work. I'm not going to be responsible. I got to think of myself. I quit. It's me first. Individualism doesn't care about other people. They only think of who? Themselves. They don't think about how their actions will affect other people. They only think of themselves. That is a worldview that no one else matters. That it doesn't matter what other people think. It doesn't matter how some other people are going to be affected. No, I got to have my way. But Jesus taught a different worldview. He says, if you try to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. That's Matthew 16 and 25. Jesus says you only begin to live when you begin to serve others. Paul said in Philippians 2. Don't just look out only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. As a church, we think of other people, not just ourselves. But that's individualism. Significance in life does not come from serving yourself. It comes from serving God and serving others. And I say this all the time. You know, people say, <laughs> love yourself. You will never love yourself enough. That is a hopeless, man, that's a hopeless worldview. Loving yourself. You, you can't love yourself. You're a sinner. <laughs> Your love for yourself is going to be so tainted with sin. You can never, you will never love yourself enough. People will never celebrate you enough. Why do you think some of the most famous people have the most miserable lives and live some of the most, die some of the most miserable deaths? 
Why? Because they were they were self-centered. They were self-absorbed. They wanted all the worship. And do you know what, people? God didn't create us for that. We can't handle worship. Can we, Daniel? We can't. We cannot handle being worshipped. We can't. These people that we see that are so applauded by the culture, their lives are so empty. Their lives are so empty. When that attention is gone, their, their, their life is nothing. They go to drugs. They go to, uh, if they're uh, not married, they sleep around with a lot of people. And they end up old, lonely, and miserable. Why? Because they believe the lie that self matter. All that matters is, is you. All who matters is you. You know, my wife and I talk all the time about famous people who died, <laughs> you know. Elvis Presley died where? In his bathroom. This was the, you know, he wasn't the king of rock and roll. I was Chuck Berry, but, you know, <laughs> you know, he wasn't the king of rock and roll. It was Chuck Berry. But anyway, he was Elvis. He died in his bathroom in disgrace. Michael Jackson couldn't be waking up because his doctor, uh, Dr. Conrad Murray, gave him downers to go to sleep and had to give him uppers to get up because Michael Jackson couldn't sleep. He had sleeping problems. Whitney Houston died in a bathtub. Great singer, beautiful voice. Died in a bathtub. Prince died in the elevator in his house. These are famous people that, oh, they have all the worship. Everyone adores them. Everyone listens to their music. Everyone, you know, we're looking at Michael Jackson thing when they were, when he uh, did the, uh, the the concert in uh, in uh, Wembley, England. All oh, these women were just screaming their, their their heads off. I was telling, I said, people just don't understand who grew up watching Michael Jackson, how just how popular he was around the world, and just how people went crazy wherever he went. I don't care where he was. It was throngs of people around Michael Jackson. You can see that a lot now with, with, with uh, celebrities, but it, it was just unfathomable how many people worship Michael Jackson and cried at his concert. You know, they're just in such euphoria that they're crying while he's, uh, you know, all that worship. And these people were so miserable. Why? Because that, 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 that self-love just, no, that's the individualistic worldview. That's where it comes from. And that's the uh, end of it. Next is hedonism. Hedonism means basically do whatever feels good. If it feels good, what? Do it. Whatever makes you feel good, no matter how sinful it may be, if it makes you feel good, do it. Hedonism says that the most, uh, the desire that says the most important thing in life is how I feel. 
And Lord, how our culture is a feelings-based culture. Eight-year-old boy, your eight-year-old son comes up to you and says, Mom, I feel like I'm a girl. Oh, honey. They celebrate it. An eight-year-old boy can barely tie his shoes. <laughs> but because he says he feels like a girl, that parent or those parents commit child abuse. Because of what? How they feel. Okay? Husband and wife are married. I feel like you don't love me anymore. One of the spouses goes and commits adultery. Why? Because they didn't feel loved by their spouse. Feelings. That's the kind of culture we live in. People are easily offended now because of feelings. Oh, I felt like you were talking about me. Or I felt like you were saying that about me. But was it true? Feelings in our culture have replaced fact and common sense too. Hedonism says if it feels good, then it's good. And if it feels bad, then it's bad. <laughs> Why is this twisted? Because Jeremiah 17 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can trust it? We cannot trust that. Just because it feels good doesn't mean it's good. Adultery may feel good, but it's sinful. It may feel good to get revenge on somebody. You know the saying, sweet revenge, revenge is sweet. Revenge is a dish best served cold. You know, the world portrays it as you get revenge and you go home and sit down and just relax and you're just so satisfied because you took vengeance out on someone. Because if it feels good, then it's what? It's good, but you can't trust that. If the goal in life is simply to make enough money so eventually I don't have to do anything, I can just have fun and have pleasure. That's hedonism. The pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of fun. And pleasure and fun are not evil things. It's the pursuit of them. That that's all you're about is the next rush, the next high, the next pleasure-filled activity. I know people who live like that. And judging by their Instagram accounts, like, man, do they do anything else? <laughs> was everything a photo dump I mean come on but you look at some people's Instagram it, you would think man they're just having fun every day 24-7 365 but you know what I found out uh, a couple summers ago now I remember telling you this Chan especially during the summer a lot of people take a lot of pictures during the summer in different locations especially when they go to the beach 
And then they just kind of put out pictures here and there every day. And it gives the impression that they've been at the beach all summer. Why? Because they want people to look at their life and say, man, they're, man, they, they're like at the beach every day. You know, that's big in our part of the South because, you know, we're only five hours from the beach. And it seems like everybody's going to the beach. And they're down there every day, all day, all summer. I mean, they would be burnt to a crisp if that was the case. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's the, it's lying, number one, but it's, it's that pursuit of, of pleasure. And they're giving out that impression that's, that's hedonism. But hedonism, it is not the goal of life, it is the byproduct of life. We can't be addicted to thrills. The byproduct of living a life for God and living for God's glory is pleasure in him. Is joy in him. And we don't have to fake it. We don't have to try to deceive people into thinking that our life is just on 10 all the time. Hedonists don't believe in the mundaneness of life. Life, in a serious sense, can be very mundane, and that's not a bad thing. But a hedonist would look at that as drudgery. Because they're always looking for what? Excitement. They're always looking to be excited. Instead of just the everyday life, you're serving God, you're going to work, you're providing for your, your family, you're making an honest living, you're building lasting friendships. They, you know, that's the, the ordinary mundaneness of life. But that's nothing wrong with that. I enjoy my life. I understand that personally. I get to go to work every day. I could be unemployed. I stay in a nice home, by God's grace, in a nice neighborhood. I drive a nice vehicle. I'm able to buy nice clothes. We're able to do nice things, go nice places. But that's not my goal in life. I don't pursue that at the expense of my family, at the expense of my wife or my, or my marriage or my, or my children. Because that's not the Christian's ultimate goal. But that's what the hedonists think, and that is so much in our culture. Who knows the song by the Rolling Stones, I Can't Get No Satisfaction? That's a, that's a gospel message by the evangelist Mick Jagger. <laughs> okay? The theologian Mick Jagger. That is a very prophetic song. He says, I can't get no satisfaction. He's right. You know who you got that song from, right? Chuck Berry. <laughs> that's who he got it from. That's a, that's a remake. Okay? But the Rolling Stones have been singing that song for over 50 years. I can't get no satisfaction. And you know what? He's right. He, he's, he's unintentionally uh, giving a gospel message. You can't get satisfaction with the things this world. I tried, I tried, and I tried. That's what the lyrics say. And then what, who knows that song? <laughs> That's what it says. I tried, I tried, and I tried. Can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no 
satisfaction because you can't in this world. Because the pursuit of pleasure, friends, is never satisfied. It's never. Next, pragmatism. Whatever works for you. Whatever works for you. If it's good for you, then it's good for you. That's pragmatism. In, in our multicultured, pluralistic world, this is a very popular view. We live in uh, what theologians have called a post-truth culture. It used to be called post-modern, but now it's a post-truth uh, culture. In other words, what's true for you may not be what? True for me. That's pragmatism. Nobody wants to say, think about this. This is, this is, so pra this is pragmatism. Nobody wants to say that what you're doing is not right. No one wants to say that what you are doing is wrong. If everybody's right, then nobody's right. If, uh, because someone has to be wrong. <laughs> if everybody's right, nobody's right. If everybody's a racist, nobody's a racist. If everything is racism, then nothing's racism. We live in that kind of culture now. Nobody wants to say that what a person doing is not right. Because that would be what? Un unloving. Yes, feelings, going back, offending people. <coughs> the only thing that's wrong in our society today is when you tell somebody that something's wrong. <laughs> Actually, that's the longest statement I wrote. The only thing that's wrong in our society today, a lot of people believe, is when you tell somebody that something's wrong. Then you're wrong. <laughs> but what's wrong in our society today is telling people that they're wrong. You see the irony in that? We can't tell people that they're wrong. That's pragmatism. We can't tell people that they're wrong. Yes, we have to. That, that's, that's, that's what we're getting to. We have to be able, and again, thinking through biblical lens. Okay? There is wrong and evil in this world. And like I said, we're going to flesh all these out as we, as we go through these, uh, the, these uh, studies. But everybody can't be right. It can't be whatever works for you. Because the problem of pragmatism is things that, uh, that, that there is such thing as evil. There is a such thing as evil in this world. And as Christians, we have to uh, hold forth to that. Proverbs 14 and 12 says, there is one thing that seems right to a man but in the end it leads to death things may seem right why because we're being pragmatic yeah I may not be wrong about that yes you are 
it's okay. And I was thinking about this. Uh, I was uh, sharing this with another uh, brother. I had a shower thought <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. And I almost lost my train of thought. When we say, you know, uh, Paul tells us, I think it's in Ephesians 4, to speak the truth in love. Now, there are two words in there that uh, have to be context uh, put into context. It's truth and love. Okay? First it says speak the truth. What is the truth? God's truth. God's revealed truth, the scriptures. We, as believers, have to speak the truth, which is God's truth, as has been revealed in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Okay? Which is all of scripture. We have to speak the truth. What does God say? What does the Bible say? What saith the scriptures? And two, we have to speak it in love. Now, what is love? Okay? Love is pursuing the greater good of another. Okay? You're pursuing the greater good of the, the object. Okay? Of your love. You're pursuing their greater good. What is good for them? Based on what? Truth. Based on truth. Okay? You're pursuing the greater good of the other based on God's truth. In our pragmatic culture, you can't do that. Why? Because the culture doesn't recognize truth, and they have perverted the meaning of the word love. Okay? Love means you can't offend people. Love means you can't hurt people's what? Feelings. That's what the culture says it means now. That's not what it means. That's what love, the culture said love means you can't hurt a person's feelings. You can't say anything that will hurt them or words that cause harm. That's what the culture says. That words are weapons. You're weaponizing the Bible. That's what they say. If you love somebody, you tell them they're what? Wrong. That's loving. You tell them they're wrong. Now, you don't have to bark it at them. But even if you're just saying it in, a, in the most kind way, they can still take what? Offense to it and say, you offended me. <laughs> Why? Because you told them something that was truthful and they didn't want to accept it and they will actually call it hate what is hate speech now do y'all know what hate hate speech is a is a is a non-starter by the way but um you know what hate speech is you know it's considered hate speech telling the person who is a uh sodomite which is homosexual that they're in sin against God that's hate speech 
It is. That's what is, is that's considered hate speech. Of course. But we're called haters because we're proclaiming God's truth that you need to repent. Okay? And that, no, you were not born that way. And that you can be delivered from that and from those desires. That's speaking the truth in love. But the world would say that's what? Hate. That's pragmatism. Okay? It's good for that person. They're fine with it. Okay? They're fine with it. It's okay. So that's pragmatism. Next is naturalism. Naturalism is also called uh, uh, atheism. Um, naturalism teaches that we're all accidents of nature, that we're just phases of cosmic dust. And you have people, and I'm sure um, you, you may or may not have heard it before. I'm sure you have, right, Daniel? That there are people who believe that we're we're phases of just matter. That that's what. Then <laughs> you've heard people say that before, right? Yes, we just stardust. Yes, there are people who actually believe that. Not not some. You have groups of scientists and uh, atheists, agnostics that believe that. We're just starters. We're just fizzing chemicals. Okay? Uh, this worldview says that there's no grand creator or grand design. That there's no God, that God does not exist, that God doesn't matter. The logical conclusion of this worldview is that if God doesn't exist and God doesn't matter, then you don't matter. Because if there's no God and God doesn't matter, then you don't matter. You're just educated slime <laughs> because you don't matter. You're just a freak accident. Because if they say that, they're saying that about themselves too. That we're just freak accidents. We, we, you know, it's a freak accident. You're born. It's a freak accident, and you die. So Paul says in Romans one that from the beginning of creation, God has shown what He is by what He has made, both things visible and invisible. But. Do you have people who have this, this worldview that there's no grand creator, there's no uh, intelligent designer? We look at nature and we see a lot of things about God. We know that God is creative, that God is powerful, that God is organized, that God is diverse. There are a lot of things that we know about God by just looking at nature. I see it all the time. I like going on rides. Sometimes we'll go on rides just out in the country. I just like this very peaceful. And I like looking at, like going up Highway 9 out of White Plains. You see Duggar Mountain. I, I just like seeing that in the background. Just like, man, it's just so beautiful. 
you know, going to Little River Canyon or, or you know, you go hiking sometimes. Just God created all this. We see, w- without even reading the Bible, we can see what our creator is like. That he's creative. I like the foliage. You know, peak foliage going up a mountain is just so beautiful. I just want to stop and just take a picture. <laughs> because it's just, you know, seeing the, the tapestry of colors from the trees dying because that's what they're doing. Isn't that something? They die in the fall and they come back to life in the spring. Isn't that amazing? That that's showing that the, the creativity of God, the, the the power, the awesomeness of God. A lot of the Psalms speak of God's creative power, but this naturalistic worldview says that doesn't even that doesn't even matter. Yes. It's, 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 it's beautiful. We see all that God has made. Paul says in Romans 1 uh, that man is without excuse. They know about God, but they don't honor him. They claim to be wise, but they became fools. That's Romans 1 and 22. Because you cannot, you have to work hard to suppress that truth. Look at your own bodies. Look how complex the human body is. You can't tell me that God didn't make us and made us in his his image. Next is humanism. Uh, Humanism basically says you're your own God. Okay? You have uh, the great humanist society. We're going to look at this when we study humanism, especially uh, secular humanism is the dominant worldview in our, in our world right now, especially here in the United States. And we have to understand this. All of us are worshipers. Every single person is a worshiper. All of us are worshipers. If you don't worship God, you worship something. No one worships nothing. Everyone is religious. Everyone has a system of religious beliefs. Okay? A lot of times we make it ourselves. We, we, we worship ourselves. The idea that you're your own God is very popular in America. This word he says that I am the master of my own fate. I am the captain of my ship. I'm in charge. That is so prominent in our culture. I did it. I made it. I did it myself. I am my own God. I am in charge. I am the center of the universe. Not God. I'm the center. This is the view of the, uh, the, the New Age movement. And it's something that God wired us to worship something. He did. If we don't worship God, we're not worshiping ourselves. The self-made man, a theologian said this, and this is such a true statement. A self-made man usually worships his maker. <laughs> 
and that's himself. A self-made man worships his maker. And that's him or her. You hear hear the phrase, a self-made millionaire. They had to become a millionaire with the help of other people. If you start your own business and you become a millionaire, you can't say you're a self-made millionaire because other people had to do what? They had to solicit your business. But the world says, no, it's a self-made millionaire. I guess they kind of pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps, which is the American way, which is there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But when you think that it's all about you and you did it, that you did it with nobody else's help, that's what a humanist worldview looks like. And if we don't worship ourselves, we will worship something that God created. It's amazing to me that a lot of people would rather worship something that God created or that they created instead of something, instead of someone rather who is the creator. People would rather worship something that God created more so than the creator himself. Paul said in Romans 1 and 25, uh, they, meaning those who have denied God, they have exchanged the truth of God for a lie and have worshipped created things more so than the creator God who is blessed forever. Amen. That's what he said. And no, we don't have to be idolaters like Israel was and, and worship Asherah, worship Asherah pose and have all these uh, images, you know, like they did in, in those days. They had little idols, okay? That doesn't, that's not the only thing that makes you an, an idolater or a worship of created things. Uh, and as I said before, this is a created thing right here. <laughs> this is a created thing. This is a created thing. Okay? Or things that man creates that came from something that God created. We exchange the truth of God for the lie. What's the lie? That there is no God. What's the lie? That I can worship created things. What's the lie? That I'm my own God. That's what humanism says. They're worshiping something that they themselves created or that someone else created. Come to America. Why do people want to come to America? It's great. It's a great country. You can come here. It's a land of opportunity. That is so good. I praise God for that. But man, we have other, we have so many idols in this country. We have cars. We have homes. We have status symbols. We have celebrity worship. You know, I don't know if I told y'all this. Maybe I did, but it's worth hearing again. We went to Hollywood back in 2015. That was the most underwhelming experience that I had in my life. 
We went to the Walk of Fame. Trash everywhere. Homelessness. You didn't see any celebrities. You didn't see any celebrity sightings on the Walk of Fame. They don't even go down there. You have the dregs of society down. You have people walking up to you, taking pictures with you, and then asking you for a tip. And now, what, seven years later, it's, it's even worse. You have homeless tents everywhere in Los Angeles, everywhere in San Francisco, just in the middle of the street, on sidewalks. That's where a humanistic worldview leads us. So we see that it, 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 it centers humans instead of centering God. That's what I'm going to cover just for now, is theism. Theism um, comes from the Greek word theo, uh, for uh, the word for God. Am I correct on that? Close? Okay. Now, Ju- Judaism and Chris- Christianity are theistic worldviews. You know, God made us for a purpose. There was a survey uh, that was uh, formed, or rather done, national survey. It suggested a large share of the nation's problems are directly attributable to the absence of a biblical worldview among Americans. Another one said that only 10% of adults in America have a biblical worldview. I would contend that it's less than that. Your beliefs determine your behavior. Why does it matter what I believe? It matters because what we believe and how we believe shapes our life. Our worldview shapes our life. Whether we realize it or not, like I said, it's consciously or subconsciously, our uh, worldview shapes our life. If we have a faulty worldview, then it's going to show on how we live. It's going to cause all kinds of problems in our life. Think about a person's worldview on marriage or on relationships. If they don't have a worldview that God didn't create me to sleep around with how many women or how many men, you know, I can or I want to. They have that worldview. And guess what? They're going to have some, in some cases, out of wedlock children. They're going to heap misery upon their children because they're not growing up in a home where both parents are, are there. That's going to cause a breakdown of the family. And it's going to cause all types of uh, problems for the children for themselves as they get older. Because that worldview about relationships matters. What what is the goal? Marriage. Not being a eligible bachelor, the world's most eligible bachelor for all your life. So a faulty worldview will cause all types of problems. 
We have a revelation from God, and that's God's truth. And we want to have a correct worldview. And when you don't know the purpose of your life, you're just drifting through. If you don't know why God created you, we're going to talk about that. If we don't know why God created us, then guess what? We're going to just drift through life on a faulty worldview. We have to know what God expects us to do and not to do. Okay? That comes from having a biblical worldview. Our world needs people who know what they believe. And we have to be able to explain to others why we believe what we believe. And I don't think that as Christians, and I include my myself in this, I don't think we do that enough. Is explaining why we believe what we believe. Why do we believe that uh, abortion is, is murder? We have to be able to explain that. Instead of saying, yeah, I'm pro-life, why? <laughs> okay, where does that start? Where does life start? Why is that life important in the womb? Instead of looking at it as just an embryo or a clump of cells. It's, it's, it, we, you know, we, we, we have to be able to to answer that. We have to learn what is true and never reject it. Get wisdom, self-control, understanding. That's Proverbs 23 and 23. We have to be able to discern what is false. The Bible tells us to test the spirits. That's 1 John 4 and 1. Whether they are of God because there are false teachers in the world. We have to be able to uh, discern what is false. To not be conformed to the world, to the pattern of this world. Paul wrote that in uh, Romans 12 and 2. But to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So, this is what we're going to be covering over the next few months. Uh, next week, we'll look at um, some, uh, begin to start looking at different uh, worldviews and how they contrast with the uh, you know Christian worldview I'll have something laid out for us on Sunday just as something to to uh, get geared to uh, look at amen thank you all for your patience and uh, bearing with me and as I said